Welcome back to the Smarter Marketer podcast, brought to you by Rocket Agency. I'm your host, James Lawrence. Welcome back to the Smarter Marketer podcast. I'm here today with Andrew Hoyne. Andy, welcome to the pod. Hey, thanks for having me. Very, very good to finally get you on. So um, Andy is the founder and principal of Hoyne, Australia's leading property branding, marketing and place visioning agency. Hoyne celebrated its 30th birthday last year. Um, in its earlier days, Hoyne worked in a broader areas, broader than just property. So working with clients like Esprit, Just Jeans, ANZ, um, and became really well known when you did the, the Triple J visual identity back in the day. Um, over the last 15 years, Hoyne has moved deeply into the property space and has worked with a, basically a who's who of Australian property, Mervac, Fraser's, Brookfield, Walker, Lendlease, and many more. Andy speaks worldwide on property marketing and placemaking, having spoken at South by Southwest, TEDx, um, AGDA, the International Urban Design Conference, and many more. Andy, welcome to the pod. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's always good to talk about something that you love. Good. Excellent. So I, I think today um, you've got so much experience in the Australian marketing industry, more recently in the property space, but prior to that, um, working with, with a, a wider range of, of brands. I'd like it's to a bit of being old. I'm trying to convince myself I'm not old. Well, you, but, uh, it's a thirty. Hoyne's been around for thirty <laughs> years, which makes I think you would have been about nine when you when you founded the agency back in the day. <laughs> That's the way I have yeah, it. Yeah, it's funny to think about because it doesn't even though it's yeah thirty one years or something. The business has changed so many times. Um, you know, you kind of kind of reinvent yourself, but you've also got to reinvent your business, and and so it doesn't feel that old. Yeah, even though it is quite a long time. Say, um, it's, you're still young at heart, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned Triple J a moment ago. I was wearing a Triple J T-shirt as like a kind of, uh, you know, one of those kind of old T-shirts you pull out of a cupboard yeah. wearing around the house on the weekend. And one of my kids went, what's that? Oh, no. And I said, do you not recognise this? She's like, why would I? She goes, firstly, I've never seen you wear clothing with a graphic on it ever. <laughs> And then, what's the whole deal with the drum and the three sticks? There used to be and a thing. There used to be a thing called radio, and this was this was how we got this is how we got our cool music back in the day. I know. I just thought, wow, how things have changed. It's generational, isn't it? <laughs> so good. Well, that's a nice segue into the first thing I wanted to discuss. I just I wanted to for the for the benefit of the listeners, just to go back to when you started Hoyne. and just those pivotal moments, the kind of how you started, why you started, and those key kind of moments with clients and as and how that journey's kind of progressed. Yeah, I think I started the same reason that most people do either because they're just very passionate about a craft as opposed to a business. And in my case, maybe I just didn't think anyone would give me a job. <laughs> be, be tough, so, tough to be your boss, I reckon, Andy. <laughs> I um I just started doing my own thing and and I didn't really have any thought about specialization. It was any kind of graphic design projects. So it was a lot of cultural projects and fashion and events and, and festivals and, and some retail and, and cafes and whatever. Um, and then, you know, as the years went on, I ended up doing a lot of work in mostly fashion in the 90s. And then the late 90s, it was very much, uh, we decided, I decided I was sick of being broke. Um, and getting paid, you know, 10 months late or not at all in some cases. Um, unfortunately, the fashion industry is the best or the most sophisticated on occasion, even at the kind of uh, pointy sort of designery end. And so I ended up going other extreme and working with lots of banks, superannuation companies and, you know, big business. 
uh, and it was a very different experience. Mm. And um, and from there, I ended up starting to do a lot of work in the alcohol uh, sector. So we, we did a lot of work with CB and, and lots of other alcohol businesses, and it was actually quite fun. But um, I think the big pivot for me came when I decided proactively that I wanted to work in the kind of property and space sector. And I was excited about the idea of developing strategic thinking that actually enabled me to name the project, do the identity, do the full suite of collateral, do the advertising, the digital design of sales and display suite environment. And, you know, in the last 10 years or even longer now, it's actually having an influence on the built form, the yeah. architecture, the landscape, and actually to the point of being involved in what actually gets developed. Um, and so that, you know, that kind of journey for me is partly based on you know, an accumulated knowledge, but it's also probably based on my own personality and going from the beginning of being a bit of a designer slash craftsperson to ultimately going, actually, all that matters to me is impacting people's experiences and the way that they live. So, you know, quite quite a, a leap, but um, one that means I look at the work and I think about marketing in a very different way today than I certainly did all those years ago. Mm. Are you, does Hoyne do any work outside of property anymore? Our place and property are the only areas we work in. So for me, it's about deep specialization and 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 you know the position that we have is that we know more about the sector than anyone uh, working in marketing. Um, and I, you know, certainly speaking to people globally, I think that we could probably say that internationally we're quite well renowned uh, as having that area of deep expertise mm -hmm. and probably publishing our series of books the place economy has probably uh, deepened that position uh, and really kind of cemented our, our, our sort of our approach in terms of what it takes to make meaningful places that people care about um, and so as, as important as marketing is to me I don't really get that excited about a logo or a brochure um, it's really about telling stories taking people on a journey and developing thinking that shapes uh, built form and mm. shapes experiences it's an incredible impact isn't it from from where you started with um because obviously lots of listeners on the pod they're not they're not working in property right we've got a really diverse audience but i think it is interesting the idea of specialization, like Hoyne has gone from being a generalist creative firm to specializing in a, a vertical or two verticals, depending on how, how we cut it up. What are the benefits of engaging with an agency that does, um, or a partner that does specialize in a particular area with deep expertise? No one has to educate us on anything. In fact, if anything, I would say that at least half the companies we deal with, we're actually educating them. Mm. We know more about the idiosyncrasies of the sector, uh, of what's happening in other markets, of the influences uh, around engaging with community or local council or state government. Uh, we understand the funding mechanism. Um, we're really clear about how to go to market and engage different audiences, whether we're selling, leasing, or actually just creating a great place if it's you know publicly owned and not necessarily selling or leasing. So it's really that the whole point of having deep expertise is bringing so much more to the table than merely executing on a brief. Mm. It's actually turning up with so much knowledge 
that you can challenge a brief, you can add value, mm. uh, and you can actually see potential and opportunity before you've even begun the process itself. Mm. Um, and I think it's really important that uh, if we don't think a brief is going to deliver the outcome, we need to be really honest and upfront about that. It's mm. not about going through the motions, just doing ticking the box, sending an invoice and walking away. Um, I think that anyone who really has deep expertise in any area does so because they're passionate about it. Um, they desire to accumulate knowledge and actually share knowledge, share knowledge within their team, but also with their clients and the people they collaborate with. And certainly in our case, I think we share our knowledge quite widely. Um, we're not sort of uh, scared of, uh, you know, so-called competitors knowing what we know mm. um, because I think we're so far ahead of the game in terms of the energy, the time and the commitment with, that we put into thought leadership. Because you guys uh, nail that, right, in terms of digitally you do a good job, but then the book, is it two now, one or two books now? Yeah, so it's uh, two volumes. The third one's just finished. Yeah. Uh, so the first book was, you know, 410 pages. The yeah. second one was 570 pages. And I think the third one's close to about 700 pages. Well, well so... it end, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, they're pretty heavy, I've got to say. Um, I do love going to people's offices and seeing them in the foyers or going into a CEO's office and seeing it sitting, you know, behind yeah. him on, on, on his desk. Um, I love the fact that I get contacted by people all around the world who have gotten the book and read it, and it's really influenced the way that they work and the way that they can actually lead their own organisations and think about, uh, you know, the value that they are as a business and and the impact that they can have by actually changing, you know, their perspective on what's possible. Mm. And I think it is true. Like you're not you're not learning on the job. Your team isn't learning on the job when it takes on a project, right? Because you've seen a similar brief and you've worked on a similar project dozens of times. And it's kind of the client isn't the guinea pig, right? The client is working with a specialist partner that knows the pitfalls, knows what to look out for, repeatable process, drive it through, right? Absolutely. And, you know, we're, we're constantly providing really sage advice on a better approach or how to, you know, in, in most instances, we're very clear about what the client needs to achieve. And yes, sometimes it's sales, other times it's positioning. Um, you know, there are a host of different things that need to be done at different phases of a project. But with that experience, not just all the work that we've done over the years, but the fact that we speak to people nationally and internationally, we're constantly learning from others mm. and we're passing, you know, that learning on. Mm. So for us, it's just, it, it, it the amount of energy that we put into kind of internal education and internal learning um, is substantial. You, you mentioned value previously. I think pretty much all the listeners are engaging with agency partners at some level, um, varying experience in dealing with creative agencies. Uh, we've talked price a lot um, yeah. outside of this pod and you're a big believer in value-based pricing, right? It's, it's kind of not the, the, the labor plus a markup to, for the output. It's about the value that you know, that you can deliver as an agency for your client. I think really interesting to, to unpack that for the for the audience, for the listeners as to like, why why would you pay more to, to work with an agency like Hoyne compared to, you know, a more generalist creative agency that might not have, you know, the same experience. And, um, and, and I think it'd be nice to then talk about pitching and the idea of giving ideas away before money, yeah. money has changed hands. Because I think there'd be a lot of people on the call 
on the on the on the pod who just expect that you know you go out to, to market and you hit up 10 agencies and you get a bunch of ideas and then you take <laughs> the one you want so let's 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 unpack that andy i know you've got some strong views on this yeah look um i think the amount that you pay is directly uh correlated to risk and so when you hire a firm which with enormous amounts of experience and knowledge you decrease your risk you know you're not going to waste time you're just going to get it done and get it done in a way that is more impactful uh, and is actually going to achieve a better outcome. So, you know, that comes with a certain professional fee um, as opposed to hiring a firm that doesn't have much experience, hasn't done it before. And I've heard people say, oh, it's great. We want a some fresh ideas or we want, you know, someone who's not bogged down by knowing too much. I mean, I've heard that a few times from substantial organisations and it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it's, it, it's just... It, 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 I'd laugh if I didn't cry. <laughs> and on the occasion that that's occurred, um, pretty much every single time we'll get a call a few months later saying, yeah, it didn't work. Yep. We've now wasted a bunch of money, several months, which in many cases is you know, more valuable than the money itself, is time. Um, and all they've done is frustrate themselves. Uh, the reality is that the way to get things done is to hire the person with the most knowledge, the most experience, who has uh, an understanding of what's possible beyond you yourself. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, is there a room for generalist agencies? I don't, they'll always exist and there'll always be people who just need a bit of graphic design done. But my firm belief is that it's specialists who actually drive a category, who actually develop innovation uh, and who actually think around corners. Mm. And that's what you need if you're actually going to kind of uh, help your clients achieve great outcomes. And how does value-based pricing work like in the property space? What are you kind of pinning commercials to? Look, it depends on, I mean, for us, it's probably about scale sometimes. I mean, we we can work on a, a project that might be, tens or hundreds of millions of dollars in end value. But we've also worked on quite a lot of projects that are billions of dollars of end value. Uh, and so is the work we're doing merely to position a project to sell? Or are we actually creating a long-term place brand which has a host of different needs through that process from leasing and selling and positioning and actually building a long-term sort of sustainable uh, place brand that people will come to recognize that might have ended up getting its own postcode that possibly would end up being on a map. And so, you know, if you're actually developing some strategy and some thinking that ultimately will become a new township, uh, you know, that's a pretty big commitment. And it's also uh, a big responsibility. And so I think that the fee that you charge, you know, can and should be in line with the level of uh, responsibility mm. that you are taking on your shoulders. It's interesting that in this industry, I think um, free pitching is quite common. If we don't do it, I think it's ludicrous. Um, and I'm also gobsmacked that some of these firms who go out and speak to, you know, a whole host of agencies uh, to get free pitches are often lazy. They're lazy because they're not prepared to do the work and actually 
you know, collaborate with a firm to understand what the best approach would be. Uh, and they're lazy because they often don't write a very good brief. We, we see them all the time. We just, you know, get, get them and decline them. Mm. Um, but they're also not thinking intelligently about the way they're using their time. They're briefing a whole bunch of people. That takes time. They're giving them X amount of weeks or whatever to, to develop their, their thinking or their sort of pull it out of the box idea. Um, and they don't know what they're going to get. So there's risk. I can't tell you how many times we've declined a pitch and then we've heard from them, you know, a month or two later and said, yeah, we've got a bunch of pitches. None of them were very good. All it did was illustrate to us that these guys really don't get it. You know, I mean, yeah. But some, some, you know, organisations, they're not that sophisticated themselves. Mm. And so they wouldn't actually know the difference between, you know, something that's half-baked and something that's brilliant. Yeah. And I think it's to to properly put forward work, you need to understand the problem and go through a process. And typically agencies aren't going to have the, the knowledge they need to properly execute unless they go through their proven process, right? And so the mm. idea that you are literally putting out work that you know, a, you can question whether or not you should be paid for it, which I think you should, but even if you go, well, you know, put a pitch forward, it's likely that you're not properly putting forward work that um, would, would, would demonstrate your ability to do the job, right? It's your I also think it's a, it's a moral issue too. I think, why should people work for free? Yeah. Like, you know, we've all got overheads, we pay staff. Why would we work for free? Yeah. And, you know, that really poor rationale that ad agencies have been doing it for decades forgets the fact that, yes, they were because they were making squillions from media buying. Yeah. And actually the, the creative was almost a lost leader. They yeah. didn't care. But that's not how the industry works. And whether you're talking about branding or specialist design agencies or, you know, firms like ours who are kind of hybrid marketing brand in, in a specialist sector, there are there's nothing to fall back on. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if firms who think that, free pitching is okay, don't realise that someone's paying for it. Yeah. Either the clients are paying, yeah. other clients are paying for it. And when I do see firms, like I, there are firms in this sector who are set up in-house design agencies that have a team that all they do is free pitch. Mm. I'm like, wow, how demoralising. <laughs> I mean, how depressing to think that every day I go to work, all I'm doing is pitching free ideas there's no value placed on the work that I do. Yeah. Sometimes they win, sometimes they don't. And even when they do, it gets handed on to somebody else. Yeah. So, absolutely. you know, they're not even getting to bring their idea to life or participate in the development um, of their thinking. Uh, it just it just doesn't seem very sophisticated, hmm. very intelligent to me. It in the proper because I feel in our space it's pretty common now. We just don't, we don't engage, right? We don't anything that comes through we just say no like you if you want us to be putting work together you pay us for it and you try to build up credibility and expertise and demonstrate that we're really good at the things we do and if you want us to work for you you, you pay us in the property space like is it is it becoming do you think it's decreasing in, in kind of prevalence the idea of pitching i'm probably not the best gauge because we've got such a reputation of not doing it most of the time, those firms bypass us. They don't talk to us, so we don't. And on occasion when they don't realise uh, and we kind of let them know that we've got a policy that um, that we don't do it, you know, like we just, I think we had one today. 
one today. They called us up. They were quite professional organization they seemed uh like good people and we just said no we'll uh we'll do credit we'll show our credentials we'll happily come in and meet you and chat with you but we won't be doing any free creative yeah. and they said oh oh okay yeah sure we're good with that now the other two firms they're going to talk to they will do free creative mm. and i feel really bad for them because mm. we're probably going to win the job because they don't have the area, the expertise that we have and the experience and this specific project that we'll be talking to them about, oh, God, we've we've done it so many times and mm. so incredibly successfully too. You know, mm. the runs are on the board and we've learned so much. There's no way these two other firms would have the slightest idea. And all they'll be doing is putting together some funny name with a logo and a look and feel for a brochure or a website. Mm. Who cares? Which kind of comes back to you know the, the beginning of our conversation around specialization, right? And that depth of expertise that um, kind of allows you to not pitch, right? Yeah, and also I just think that you know again with some of these briefs, this predetermined idea—I saw a ridiculous one a few weeks ago. It was like uh, you know wanted to know if um, the uh, part of the criteria was the logo must be able to be able to be etched into wood. I thought, is this real? Who wrote this thing? And it's not about, you know, the size or the sort of colour or the font or the logo. It's actually about understanding the job to be done. You know, who is the market? Um, how can we engage with them? Uh, and rather than thinking about deliverables, because the deliverables should be thought about later, mm. uh, to tr truly understand what is the problem that we are trying to solve, it might require a completely different set of deliverables. Yeah. What's the problem and what's the way to get there? Which might lead nicely into the, the next part of our conversation that I'd, where I'd like to steer it. You've got lots of experience working with a range of marketing teams, right? Mm. Um, both within your own agency, lots of marketing teams for businesses in property, but also lots outside of. I think really nice for you to share observations around what the best performing marketers and marketing teams, what those traits are. And maybe the first one is how you see the best performing marketers dealing with non-marketers in their business, C-suite, how to bring senior stakeholders along on the journey. So when marketing people are dealing with other others in the organization, um, I think it's ideal when they actually don't talk about marketing. <laughs> You've just got to talk about business goals and you know pathways to success. You've got to understand how different departments can work together. Um, again, it's about understanding problems or approaches. Um, most people who are in non-marketing departments don't care about marketing. They're not that interested. And so rather than trying to make them interested, you're better off kind of understanding what their problems are and perhaps how marketing as a tool uh, could potentially solve problems for them. For me, I think it's, it's always good to have discussions uh, in in a business language rather than in a marketing language yeah and that's good good um good feedback we've we um i'm jumping ahead here but we the the last question you get that's going to get fired at you andy is uh what advice would you have for, for every marketer on the pod today and that's asked of every guest and almost to a t it's kind of something around talk business talk roi talk revenue and just focus. You can't give up at marketing. You've got to take it through to 
to revenue in the business and solving business problems. So I think it's um, it's nice to hear that kind of reiterated. What about dealing with sales sales teams? Because the property space does have that relationship, and yeah, um, there's always that natural tension. And so, what, how do you see the best performing marketers dealing with with sales teams? Uh, for me, you know, I I have I do see that tension, but rather. Uh, than accept it. Um, I'm always trying to make sure that there's this really great dynamic between the marketing and sales teams. Um, you know, I very much sort of sit back and let sales people talk about what they they believe is important to them. You know, what their thoughts are, what their ideas are. Um, you know, spill their guts. Tell me everything. Tell me what you're thinking. Um, and rather than challenge them or push back and say no, that won't work. I'm probably more inclined just to sort of take it all on board and then ask questions. Treat salespeople like the client. Don't treat them like adversaries, but just I always say to them, look, you know what I'm here to do? I'm here to create the best tools for you. So I, my comment, standard comment is I'm going to kick the ball to you and you can kick it in the goal and be a hero. But <laughs> If you don't music to, music to the ears of any any sales rep. Yeah, that's true. It's like you know, I, I and also I want to create tools, what be that marketing, whatever, that they're really proud to use. Hmm. That they go, oh my god, this is just the best work. This is going to help me succeed. Hmm. And admittedly, you know, in a lot of instances, people I might deal with in sales are very conservative, and all they want is just a new version of the last thing they did, hmm. which in some instances, doesn't work. It isn't the right solution. So I think, you know, I tend to deal with salespeople, you know, lots of engaging, dynamic, intelligent people, but I probably deal with them with with kid gloves. You know, I just very softly, very gently um, know that they've been heard and also kind of guide them to thinking a bit more broadly, reminding them that actually if we want our marketing to be noticed, it needs to have a point of difference and it can't look like some other favourite thing that they've just seen. Um, you know, we need to engage people. And so it's not just about, you know, some of the most obvious things they might assume. Um, it's actually about a host of messages across a number of mediums that all contribute to taking prospect prospects on a journey. I think the um, we had Dean on the pod a few months back and very similar in terms of building that relationship and at the end of the day we're people and kind of actually even on a more practical level actually just meeting and having scheduled meetings and talk what's working what's not working um what what do you need from me it has a, a pretty transformative impact but the thing the second point that you made there which i think a lot of us as marketers don't think of as much as we should is that supporting role, like what what is the supporting role that marketing can play? Once you've even engaged with a prospect, yeah. what collateral do you need? How can I help you in that level? And we find that world's changing, and what how people sell, even like more of the path to purchase is taken through digital these days, and less yeah. maybe face to face dealing with representatives of an organisation. But it is that even once you've built that relationship with someone one to one, having collateral and assets, and the marketing kind of doesn't stop once the lead's been handed over. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, I love doing weekly catch-ups for sales teams, especially if we're in the midst of a job, because I'm really keen to get their feedback on, you know, who are the people registering or buying or engaging? Um, and are they what questions are they asking? And do we have the answers for them? 
what are the wild cards? What, what's happening that none of us thought would occur? And how do we deal with that? Do we actually create some new assets that will make it easier for the salesperson? Um, do we you know, rethink our messaging? Sometimes it's quite nice to, to test a number of different um, messages and see which ones are resonating and then dump the ones that aren't. I think testing is really good and that's that's definitely done really well when you're talking to the salespeople because they're talking to the actual end customer. Yeah. Um, so for me, that's a really important part of the process. Um, it's just, you know, knowing when to ask the question and being really conscious of listening. It's good feedback. And then the next one, how do the best marketers engage with agencies? What are the do's? What are the don'ts? I think... Um, in this kind of world we live in, there's a really strong propensity for marketers to put themselves on a master uh, pedestal and look down at the consultant as, as the servant. So the master-servant relationship is quite common, I think. Uh, it really does not drive a great outcome. Um, I think, you know, when you kind of treat people in that manner, um, that you're the client, you're the, the big powerful client that gets to sign off on invoices or make decisions about who's doing what. Um, in most instances, it's actually not even their money. They're an employee of an organisation, you know, engaged to do a role. Um, so I'm always a bit surprised as to why people think that they can act that way. Um, there are heaps of great marketers who are really collaborative, uh, they really kind of take that approach that, yeah, while they will make the final decision or they will direct certain approaches, they actually listen, they treat you as the professional that you are, they understand that you've got knowledge and experience that they don't in many instances, uh, and they value that. Um, so, you know, it's like anything good in life. It's a relationship. Mm. Um, and so I think the way that, people kind of uh, manage that relationship will always determine the quality of work that gets produced. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I've worked with some amazing marketing people I've learned so much from uh, because they know the right questions to ask. Mm. Um, and they are really honest when they don't know the answer themselves. Mm. And, if, and if the agency doesn't, then you just got to go out and find it. So I think when you have that, great relationship, which is based on a mutual respect and a collaborative approach, you always end up doing things more innovatively because people aren't afraid to speak. They're not afraid to share a thought or an idea or admit when they don't know something or suggest doing something out there and, and in taking a risk. But if, you know, if we kind of have that traditional master servant approach, all you're going to get is delivery of the things on your list. There will be no innovation. There'll be no risk taking. Yeah. Uh, it just, you know, it's just keep your head down and get it done and don't yeah. get in trouble. It's um it's such a cliche, but if you want an agency to do the best work, you have to treat them like an extension of your team, like a true yeah. partnership. Um, we had Jordan Slover who runs a um, performance digital agency in New York and, and Texas on last week. And very similar themes coming out of that, right? Which is at the end of the day, we're people and um, we're business owners. And if, if someone isn't kind of playing ball, we'll, we'll fulfill the contract and deliver what we what we contractually are obliged to deliver. 
but when it's a client who treats you well and is respectful and um, you know knows things aren't always perfect, but you know is direct and gives you good feedback, then when you know when you have to go that little bit extra, they're the ones you go the the extra mile for, right? Even more so. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of times that I've been in a situation where I've learned information that could benefit someone out in the market, and I'll go, oh gee, this company would really be interested in that. I'll pick up the phone and call them. I'll tip people into opportunities, massive deals. I've got nothing out of it, but I've picked up the phone and gone out of my way so many times to help people and to help companies who I've thought deserved it, who I'm really happy to support and see, you know, it's not a brief. It's not part of an active job. I'm not being compensated for it. And, you know, I've been doing that all my career. Probably more in recent years, those um, recommendations or those introductions that I've made have resulted in companies making a huge huge amount of money. I'm talking, this can be millions, tens of millions of dollars. Where where are my hookups, Andy? (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, you just... And it's not like you necessarily go out looking to do that, but when things, when you've been around for a while, things just come past, you know, that things will pop onto your radar and you'll think, oh, I could help somebody out with that. But you're only going to do that to people who you respect, who you've worked really well with. And it's not about who are your mates that you have a beer with after work. It's actually not that at all. I mean, you can be someone that you might have nothing in common with, that you wouldn't necessarily go and do something social with, but you just think they're fantastic at what they do and you respect them and you want to see them create success. Respect. Respect is the word there. Um, other, other, I guess, observations or um, advice, traits that the best marketers that you've observed have? It's funny. Um, I used to get really frustrated um, when, you know, sort of 20-something marketing managers would speak down to us like they've been doing the job for two years. You know, I've been doing it for 31. Um, and it's so, it's it's kind of almost debilitating to get excited about a project when you, you're not given any kind of respect. Um, so I think that, you know, back to that point, it's interesting that some of the most successful people, some of the most intelligent are also the most modest. You know, I deal with people who either own major companies, leading big companies, heads of huge marketing teams, and they're just so down to earth. They're easy to talk to. You can have a really open conversation about anything. Um, and they're a real joy to work with. But it's no mistake that they're at the top. They didn't get to the top by being difficult or narky or just antagonistic. They got to the top because they understand how to create great relationships. They always know how to collaborate. They know how to reward people who have helped them and supported them. And I think that, you know, the almost in some way old-fashioned values um, rather than sort of, you know, sort of climbing over people, that old-fashioned, simple, modest, honest approach will win every time it might not win overnight but long term it will always win and i think that's really interesting because you're working exclusively in property now right and property is a tough space it's a space that does have a reputation of 
of being challenging, right? And having big egos and whatever else. I think if if um if the if the market is rising to the top in that space, you know, are that quietly confident? And I'm sure direct and giving feedback and pushing for results, but doing it in, in the right way, I, I would presume. Yeah, look, there's in every industry there are lots of pressures, usually time and money. Um, and that's understandable. Um, you know, there can be tight deadlines and everyone's gonna kind of work extra hard to resolve a difficult situation. Um, but definitely you'll find it's easier to engage your own team to go to bend over backwards to help a client who everybody uh, believes in. They, and again, it probably even goes further. It's like we believe in the company and the people, but also the project or the product. Mm. You know, um, sometimes we see projects and we think, we don't want to work on that. We don't want to put our name to that. We don't, by actually working on it, we, we're concerned that we're endorsing it. Mm. We're actually saying to people, this is a good place to go or live or work or be a part of when we don't believe that. So for us, you know, we certainly realised that after 31 years that we do have a brand and that does have value. And when we put our name to something, we are endorsing it. Mm. So it's important that, you know, we're really conscious um, that we think in advance about who it is that we're working for because not everyone's a fit for us. That's it. I think that is really good. It's a really interesting perspective for listeners because it's the same at Rocket, which is a, we haven't been around for quite as long, but the team, there's certain clients that the team want to work work for and we work with a, a more diverse range of verticals than, than you do, but there's certain products or services that the team are more excited by. And then there's certain clients be based on the personalities of that the team want to work with more. And it, like, I think if I was on the other side and I was working client side, I think it might be easy to think that it is all driven by money and it's, it's not, it's, it's, there's often, we're all human, right? And there's yeah. kind of a, a more diverse range of factors kind of coming together to get the most out of an agency. Well, I just think, you know, you go home, you speak to your partner or your children or even friends at a barbecue on the weekend. Mm. And what do we do? We talk about work. We're always talking about work and, you know, we want to talk about it with a sense of joy, with a sense of uh, achievement and accomplishment. Uh, and know that the work that we're doing is actually having a positive impact. So, and that's about the specifics of the job itself, um, but it is also, you know, the kind of legacy of everything that comes with it. It's interesting, one of the things that, you know, when I was working in alcohol, uh, which I really enjoyed, I also thought, oh, man, I just feel like I'm just contributing to landfill. You know, I'm just, it's just, these are just labels on bottles. I really don't feel like they're very important anymore. I used to quite enjoy it from a design point of view. Um, and I do like seeing, you know, engaging brands or just beautiful brands. But, you know, as you evolve in your career and you change your thinking and what's important to you, it's interesting because property on some level might have a negative stigma for some people, but I actually find it incredibly uh, exciting and I also think that, you know, having the ability to create places where people do live or, or work um, and knowing that we can shape a better outcome, I mean, yeah. you know, that's a real legacy in itself. Because the development's being built anyway. So it's, it's, do you want it being built in a way that doesn't work, doesn't function, doesn't bring people together, or do you want it to be, to be put together in a way that does all those things that Hoyne works towards, right? 
yeah, that that's it gets completed and people celebrate it. People think, wow, oh, it's such a great place. You know, I want to go and have dinner there or I want to live there. Or, you know, it's a it's a you know a beautiful kind of piece of architecture, you know, that adds value to a neighborhood. Andy, thank you so much for coming onto the pod. I'm going to ask you one final question. I gave you a little bit of a teaser there, so you've got no excuse but to, to nail this. <laughs> um, but yeah, what's one piece of advice that you'd give? What's the best piece of marketing advice that you'd give to a to a young up-and-coming marketer trying to make their way in Australia? I would look at the people who, you know, consultants or uh, service providers, um, uh, experts that work for your company and I would go and shadow them. I would actually say, hey, any chance I could come and work in your office for a day or two? And they go, well, why? I just want to, I want to learn. I want to see how you guys operate. I want to see what happens on your side of the fence. You know, I want to see how you guys tackle things. Um, no one does that. But I just think the amount of insight that you would get from it. And now some firms might say, oh, look, there's, we can't do it because we've got lots of different confidential client work around that might be a competitor to you. But some, many would say, yeah, great, come along. Like be a part of what is happening. Don't just brief it and walk away, but actually try and understand it. Try and get hands-on in any way you possibly can because then you'll truly learn. And then you'll be able to brief better, assess better, understand you know the opportunities and the pitfalls hmm. so basically you've just got to up your upskill yourself in every way you can i love it that's not an answer that anyone's given but i think it's excellent advice <laughs> well that's, that's andy's thinking you're always going to come at it from a different angle <laughs> <laughs> thanks mate i really appreciate you coming on and i and i hope that all the listeners today have enjoyed having andy on the smarter marketer podcast Excellent. Thanks for having me. And just remember, keep investing in those relationships. That's all that matters. Thanks for listening to the Smarter Marketer podcast. Stay up to date about new episodes on LinkedIn and Instagram by searching for Smarter Marketer podcast. You can purchase your own copy of Smarter Marketer via the Amazon website. And if you want a second opinion about your business's approach to digital marketing, send me an email, jamesl at rocketagency.com.au or visit the rocketagency.com.au website. Thanks for your time.